Bibles to the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. Lord willing, today we will cover 33 through 44. Verses 33 through 44. A little 12-verse passage here that talks about the restoration of Israel. But it's not the restoration that, that, that you would commonly... It's actually restoration through wrath. And that's going to be the title, Restoration Through Wrath. Just to kind of put us back in the setting, I, don't, I think it's important that we never lose sight of this. These people are in Babylon, exiled from their homeland, being judged by God for their sin. But they're unable to self-reflect. They're unable to really see their, their sins. And they constantly blame others for their situation. That's chapter 18 in a nutshell. Blaming their fathers for the situation that they're in. And all the while, God has been crystal clear. They were idol worshipers. They were sinners. They were rebels. He tells them actually in Ezekiel 14, verse 6. He says, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. You see, they were a sinful Rebellious people, worshiping idols made of wood and stone. And not lightly, I might add. Jeremiah, which I will quote Jeremiah several times throughout this day. And Jeremiah is a great cross-reference because the context is identical. They're prophesying at the same time. One's in Judah or one's in Jerusalem and one's over in Babylon. But they're, they're prophesying contextually the same. Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 11, verse 13. Judah has as many gods as they have towns and as many altars as they have streets. As many gods as they had towns and as many altars as they had streets. See, they didn't dabble in idolatry. They were headlong into this pagan worship. But, but it's our Father's fault we're in this situation, right? Right? Well, that's a half-truth because in truth, their fathers were not good examples. That, that's what chapter 20 has been discussing all the way through. They've been a rebellious nation since God brought them out of Egypt. They've been a rebellious nation since they were a nation. So they're being sent into exile in Babylon for their rebellion and for their failure to worship the Lord. The Lord asks this, and you just can just feel this as the Lord says in Jeremiah 2, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me? That they strayed so far from me. Where was my shortcoming? What fault did they find with me? This is what the Lord says. They found fault with Him. What fault did they find with me that they strayed so far from me and followed worthless idols. He goes on that same chapter saying, They forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewned out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They just went and carved out these cisterns that couldn't even hold water. And they were happier with that, more content with that than they would than there was God, the fountain of living waters. They had forsaken and exchanged the true and living God for an idol. And they were being judged for their worship of those idols. And here, look in verse 33 of chapter 20. 
here in Babylon, it says this, verse 31. You defy, your, you defy yourselves with your idols to this day. That's something, isn't it? They're in Babylon still worshiping idols. Under judgment for worshiping idols, in judgment still worshiping idols. It's our Father's fault. But look, God's glory will not be taken from Him. And I think this is something, if we can really just get a timeline here, it's pretty interesting. What's going on here in Ezekiel 20, where they're still in Babylon worshiping idols, at the same time an episode's happening over in Daniel 3, in Babylon. In Babylon, in Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is cast into the fiery furnace. Right? They're not annihilated. They're not destroyed. They come out and they don't even have the, the stench of smoke on them. And Nebuchadnezzar says this, Daniel 3, 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree. I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Why is it that a pagan Gentile king is declaring the greatness of the Lord and not the people of Israel? The people of Israel are in Babylon worshiping idols. And here this Gentile king is having to make a decree that if you worship any other god, we're going to tear you limb from limb. That just blows my mind. Should not the people of Israel have been the ones making the Lord known? Maybe this is just a little foretaste of God turning to Gentiles to make His name known when, the, when His people reject them. But they've been a rebellious house since their inception. And God has not cast her away. He's, he's judged her. He's chastened her. You know, even in the book of Judges, He's sending the oppressing nations upon them and then they cry out to Him and He delivers them. And then they get into sin again and He oppresses them through another nation, maybe it's the Philistines or the Amorites, and then all of a sudden he saves them yet again. That's the cycle of judges. But they're being judged. They're being sent in exile into Babylon for their sins, yet for their good. But the nation of Israel will not always be estranged from God. He will bring them back to their land. He will enter into a covenant with them, they will worship Him, and He will accept them. So let's read this passage. This is exactly what we're, we're going to read today. Restoration through wrath. Ezekiel 20, verse 33. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. 
As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will, bring, I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, and they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Go serve every one of you his idols. Now and hereafter, if you will not listen to me, but profane my holy name no more, profane your gifts with, with your idols, but my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, they are all the house of Israel, all of them, shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will require your, your contributions and the choicest of your gifts with all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you've been scattered. And I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel the country that I swore to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves, and you shall loathe yourself for all the evils that you have committed. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Restoration through wrath. So just an overview of, of these 12 verses are going to be verse 34. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered. Verse 42, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers. That is the overview. God is going to bring them out of the countries where they have been scattered into the land of Israel, the land He promised to their fathers. Overview. But there's more than just a gathering of His people going on here. More than just a gathering, because it says at the end of verse 33, I will be king over you. So this passage is about the restoration of Israel. Not just gathering them back on their land. He's going to be king over them. So, Let's just look at a few points of emphasis, a few points of stress. To me, when, when, the, script, when the Scripture is repeating something over and over, it just is stressing it to us on how and why this will be accomplished. Throughout chapter 20, you can look up in verse 9. It says there, but I acted for the sake of my name. Okay? Verse 14, I acted for the sake of my name. Verse 22, I acted for the sake of my name. Verse 44, he says it there, When I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds. That's why he's acting. Not because they earned it or, or deserved it. Their ways were evil, their deeds were corrupt. The Lord is bringing this about for His name's sake. For His glory, for His covenant, His promise, that's why. Okay, but how? 
You want to know how this is going to happen? From verses 33 to the end of the chapter, 15 times the phrase, I will, is in there. 15 times. The Lord is clearly the one doing the acting here. I will. I will. I will. You don't want to know what they're going to do? It's just really summed up if you want to start reading in verse 42. Here's what they'll do. You shall know, or you will know, that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds in which you've defiled yourself. You shall loathe yourself for all the evils that you've committed, and you shall know that I am the Lord. We know what He's going to do. What are they going to do? Here's what they're going to do. They're going to acknowledge God and they're going to repent. That's the two things they're going to do. He's acting for His name's sake. And that's stressed with the 15 times He says, I will. But even in this passage we read today, let's just kind of work through quickly here. Verse 33 says, As I live, declares the Lord, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with the wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with a wrath poured out. Two times he stresses that, does he not? So if I were to ask you, what, what do you think he means when he talks about a mighty hand and an outstretched arm? I mean, I, I think it's teaching us this, talking about his omnipotence. How he's just the all-powerful, sovereign king of the universe. And when he decrees or desires to do something, he does it. And there's none that can stop him. But then he also stresses that he would do this. He would gather them with wrath poured out. Two times he says that. And with wrath poured out. Then he moves on in verse 35. He says, I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples. And there... I will enter into judgment with you face to face as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will enter into judgment with you. Seems to be stressing that as well. Then he goes on talking about verse 37. He says, I will make you pass under the rod. I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Look, that's not that passing under the rod is not the disciplinary action of God. This rod is, is a shepherd's rod. You know, Psalm 23, your rod and your staff are a comfort to me. This rod would be a shepherd's rod if he would sit there and get the, the sheep in a single file line and they would pass under the rod. And he would count his. He would inspect his. And those that wasn't his, he would purge. He would call. And that's exactly what he says. Verse 38, I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. You see the shepherd's rod as they, he's gathered them out of all the nations. He brought them there. He's judging them. And as they're passing through, he's counting his. He's examining his, inspecting his, and purging out the rebels. And he says, I will bring them... I'm sorry, I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. He's going to bring them out. All of them. And He's going to judge them face to face. No group judgments. Face to face judgment. 
So just some things that are stressed in this quick passage is the sovereign rule of God. Two times my, my, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He stresses His wrath. He stresses His judgment three times. He talks about examination, counting, inspecting. He talks about purging. This is what national restoration will look like. So that's the big picture. Let's look at some fine details, hopefully. Look, now, now this regathering, this restoration, when does this take place? You know, this is kind of where I want us to kind of focus right now because it does, it does change how we view Scripture. Point one, this is not referring to the return from Babylon. He's, they've been exiled into Babylon and they will come back to their land. But this is not talking about that regathering of the people. All right, they're in Babylon, exiled. There's still yet another way to come in Ezekiel's day here. But he says in verse 34, I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries, plural, where you have been scattered. Not Babylon alone, countries. This is pointing to that greater worldwide scattering that Todd talked about last week. Even today, we see the Jews scattered to every corner of the globe. This is what it's talking about, okay? So point two, or as Jacob would say, that's point one, this is point B. <laughs> point one, point two, here we go. This is not referring to the return from Babylon because it's plain when God restores them, it says He will be king over them. Very plainly, I will be king over you. Okay, so the return from Babylon, the people do return. You can read some books on this, the post-exilic books they call it, maybe post-exile, after the exile, book, maybe like Haggai. You can read that book, and there in Haggai, the people are back from Babylon, and they're actually more concerned with their own houses. They're actually more concerned with their own little kingdom. They're not worried about God's house. They're not worried about God's name. They're not worried about the things of God and not concerned with matters of the king, as we should say. Fast forward just a tick to Malachi, still that post-exile book. Malachi 1 says this, that they despise the name of the Lord. He actually goes on and says that they actually offer blind animals and sacrifices. They're offering up the blind, the lame, the sick. Their worship had gotten so vile that the Lord actually says it, just, I wish there was one among you who would shut the doors. You can actually serve me better by closing the doors and not worshiping me at all. That's how off kilter their worship had gotten. Malachi 3, verse 14. You have said, it is vain to serve God. That's what they said, Malachi. So, post-exile, after the Babylonian return, it's vain to serve God. You're better served by closing the doors. Don't pretend to worship me. You're despising my name. You're more concerned with your own little kingdom. And they put all these feelings into words in the Gospel of John when they say, we have no king but Caesar. So does the post-exile nation sound like a nation with God as their king? Not even a close. No. No, no, no. The return from Babylon did not culminate with God as our king. So point three. Jeremiah, again, contemporary of Ezekiel, spoke of this restoration. Spoke of this restoration. 
Contextually, you couldn't ask for a better supporting text. And Jeremiah 16, 14 says this, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of who brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back into their own land that I gave to their fathers. Clearly, clearly to me, speaking of the same return that Ezekiel is, the language is the same. He's going to gather them out of all the countries where they have been scattered, where they have been driven, and he's going to bring them into their land that he gave to their fathers. Same thing. Contextually, everything about it. Historically, the same thing. But Jeremiah actually points to the Egyptian exodus, the, the ten plagues, the one with Moses, the one all the kids know, right? He points to that and says that will pale in comparison to this, to this return. And the compar- this comparison is actually in the language of Ezekiel as well. He talked about, as I would judge you as I did your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, right? And he also says this. When he says, when Ezekiel says that with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, right? That's the, the language that he used twice in Ezekiel. So how did they describe the exodus from Egypt? Just read it. Just read it. Deuteronomy 26. This is Moses. Moses says this, And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terrors, with signs and wonders. See, they they looked at the way that God brought the people up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm as they struck down those mighty, those plagues, just mighty sign after mighty sign. And that's how, he, that's how they're saying that he's going to bring the people, he's going to gather them back into here. So even Ezekiel describes the similarity between these two events. Now, if you remember the Exodus, I'm sure all the kids are familiar with it. That was a grand, grand display of God's power. And the report of the Exodus spread far and wide. They, even, even when the people go to take Jericho, and those spies run into Rahab the harlot. She says this, Joshua 2, verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the, inhabitant, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And this is from the lips of a heathen Gentile harlot. See, when the Lord brought them out of Egypt, that spread. The news of that spread. Even You can even fast forward just a little bit to 1 Samuel. When the people are actually in the land... There they're battling the Philistines and they bring the ark of God out to battle the Philistines. 1 Samuel 4, here's what the Philistines say. When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. And they says, a God has come into the camp. Woe to us, 
For nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us! Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? Now they're speaking of Yahweh with a polytheistic mindset when they say that. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. They heard what God done when He brought His people out of Egypt. Look, they didn't know the Lord, but they heard the report of the Lord. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were both described the return from Egypt in the same way, only on a bigger scale. So if it is the return from Babylon, how does, how does the Babylonian return fit that description? Let me just read you how, the, how they returned from Babylon. Just read this. Ezra 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And it's charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold and goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of the God that is in Jerusalem. Here's how they left Babylon. Hey, Jews, go back to Jerusalem. Build the house for your Lord. Here's some money. You know, he supported this with the royal treasury. This return, we read about the Babylonian return here, it doesn't echo the same as the return from Egypt. It just doesn't. There are no fireworks. But when the God brought the people, when God, when God brought the people out of Egypt, He made His strength and His power known. Not only to the Israelites, the Gentile nations heard and trembled at the God of Israel. And this just isn't captured in the return from Babylon. So the fact is they're still scattered. The fact is that the Lord is currently not king over them. And no many return to the land has captivated us like the Egyptian exodus or the exodus from Egypt. But the days are coming when you will no longer talk about the exodus from Egypt. That was just an opening act. Wait and see what God will do on that day. You ain't seen nothing yet. There's your song, Blake. You ain't seen nothing yet. Point four. And this one will actually feed into the interpretation as well. It says here that he will gather them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. When the people returned from Babylon, which was under Persian rule, because Cyrus was king of Persia, was there any wrath poured out on Persia? No. So again, if the scattering is still in place today, then return, the return is still future as well. And if they're still scattered, the Lord has still promised He's going to restore them. If they're still scattered, He's going to restore them with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with a wrath poured out. Is there anything in Scripture 
Anything in Scripture that discusses this? Absolutely. Actually, Jeremiah even touches on this. Jeremiah speaks of this high point of agony. In the same passage, he talks about the restoration of Israel. He calls it a time of distress for Jacob. Jeremiah 30 says, That day is so great, there is none like it. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, For then there will be great tribulation, such that has not been from the beginning of the world until now, and no, never will be. If those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. So this time of distress, this great tribulation, to me describes, is described in the book of Revelation. The wrath of man is being poured out on Israel, and the wrath of God is being poured out on the nations and unbelieving Israel. And, and make no mistake, they know where this comes from. This is in Revelation 6, 15. It says, The kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? God is going to bring His people out from all the countries where they have been scattered with a mighty hand. Who can stand, is what they're saying. With an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, and this is still yet future and it is certain. The gathering of His people is going to be done through strength and through wrath. He's going to bring them out. We've read He's going to enter into judgment with them face to face. Mano y mano. No group judgments going on here. And he says, I will make them pass under that rod. You know, like the shepherd counting, inspecting, inspecting, examining his flock, separating the sheep from the goats, one by one by one. And according to verse 37 and 38, all who enter the land will be believing Israel. Verse 37 it says, I will make you pass on a rod. I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn. But they will not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. So who will enter the land of Israel? Believing Israel. Not, not the rebels, not the transgressors. I will purge out the rebels from among you. The transgressors will be separated from the flock on this day, during this great judgment. But look, he even says, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. That actually was foreshadowed in the Exodus as well. Was it not? The Lord brought them out. He brought them all out. All of them come out of Egypt. And what do they do? They complain. They murmured. Accusing God of not providing. And then when He did provide, they didn't like the provisions. And just, just bread, just bread, just, you know, just tired of this bread. And he gives them meat. So it's just, just we don't have no water. They want to go back to Egypt. They, they, that's, that was their desire. They showed no faith that God could actually bring them into the land. And in the wilderness, God enters into judgment with them. And although he brought them out of Egypt, they did not enter the land. This will happen again. That is the pattern we see here. 
In verse 39, he says, As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Go serve every one of you his idols, now and hereafter, if you will not listen to me. But my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. After God has promised to bring them out, He's promised to judge them, purge out the rebels, only allowing the true believers to enter the land, He says, if you will not listen to me, by the way, that is the definition of a rebel, if you will not listen to me, go and serve every one of you His idols. But there's a but here. But, quit attaching my holy name to your idol worship. Why? I think we, we get that up in verse 32. What was in their mind shall never happen. The thought, let us be like the nations, like the tribes of the countries, and worship wood and stone. My people will not be like the other nations, worshiping idols of wood and stone. And if you will not listen to me, then go serve your idols. But when I bring you out, I will purge you from the fold. I will judge you. You will pass under the rod. You will not enter the land that I promised to your fathers. For all who enter the land, all of them will serve the Lord and only the Lord. We see that in verse 40. Verse 40 reads this way. For on my holy mountain, that's Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the mountain height of Israel declares the Lord God. There all the house of Israel, all of them, shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them. And there I will require your contributions and the choices of your gifts with all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you've been scattered. For in Jerusalem, it says in verse 40, all the house of Israel, comma, all of them shall serve me. All the house of Israel, all of them shall serve me because the rebels have been purged out. The transgressors have been called. You know, Zechariah talks about this. And if, this is, if this fits, this is interesting. Zechariah 13. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, so that they shall no more be remembered. And I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. We see this purging going on. Then he goes on. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third to the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They shall call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, Yahweh is my God. You see, I think this purging, this putting, testing them as one would, would, would test gold or refining them as one would refine silver, this is talking about that great tribulation, that wrath, that time of Jacob's distress. And all of Israel who survives the great tribulation will be saved. They've been refined. They've entered into the covenant. That was verse 37. They've entered into the land. That's verse 42. So this statement right here where it says all of Israel will serve Him, it's actually mentioned in the New Testament as well. 
Doesn't Paul say that in Romans? He says, all of Israel will be saved on that day, right? The funny thing is, Paul actually gives us a time frame for when this would take place. All right? Paul doesn't just place this return at, from, as a return from Babylon. He doesn't place this then. Paul speaks of this as still yet a future event in Romans. Paul says this. Look, just to, be, just to kind of give us a little background in Romans 11. Romans 11 begins by asking, has God rejected His people? I mean, they're scattered, right? They're scattered to the four corners of the earth. Has God rejected them? No. And the funny thing, God sent them there. He's judged them. But God is even going to use their trespass to bring salvation to the Gentiles. He says that. Romans eleven eleven Through their Israel's trespass... Salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Okay, so God is going to bring a good thing out of a bad thing. And then he says here, Paul begins to use the picture of a cultivated olive tree in Romans 11. There, unbelieving Jews were branches that were broken off in Romans 11. Gentiles are described as wild olive branches that are grafted in. That's the picture of Romans 11. The Gentiles, these wild olive branches, are being nourished by the root. You know, they do not support the root. The root supports them. And it's the root, the people, the Israelites. To them, according to Romans 9, backing up a couple of chapters, says to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. So all that belonged to Israel. So we too can share in the promises of God, but it's through Christ that's what Romans 11 is saying through Christ. Paul echoes this in Ephesians 2 when he says, We Gentiles were once afar off. We had no hope and we were without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been grafted in by the Lord. You see, that's, that's what he's talking about there. But throughout Romans 11... I'm going to make this point. Throughout Romans 11, the wild olive branches are not magically trans transformed. They remain distinct from the natural branches. The wild olive branches don't become natural branches. They remain distinct. So, so the point I want to make there is the church is not the new Israel. They remain distinct. So, okay, so we're living in a day where the Lord is grafting in wild olive branches. That's the day we live in today. The Jews are scattered. God has turned to the Gentiles, grafting in these wild olive branches. But that day will come to an end. Because a partial hardening has come upon Israel so that he's turned to us. And it says there, it will be until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Okay, so there's going to become a point when the Lord is through grafting in Gentiles. And then He will once again turn to the nation of Israel. And He would deal with them through wrath and through judgment. And those that remained will be saved. All of them. All of them. And in case you think that this salvation that, that Paul's talking about when he says all of Israel will be saved is, is speaking of a, a physical salvation... You may, maybe you're thinking um, like the Holocaust, how the, the nations rallied together and they, you know, they rescued the Jews from Hitler. 
They were physically saved, but that's, that's not the salvation spoken of here. Listen to this. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. So it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. What is he doing in Ezekiel 20? He's bringing them out into the wilderness, and he's going to judge them, right? Entering into judgment with them, purging out the rebels, banishing ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them. He says over in Ezekiel 20, he's going to enter into a covenant with them. Same thing we're reading here. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is not saving them from Hitler. This salvation will be when he takes away their sins. And they all will worship the Lord. They, all of them, will worship the Lord. They're all going to know him. They're all going to repent. No longer blaming their fathers for their misfortunes. Because it says in verse 43, they will loathe themselves. You will remember your ways and your deeds, all your deeds, with which you have defiled yourself, and you shall loathe yourself for all the evils that you have committed. They will despise themselves. But notice, God doesn't deal with them according to their evil ways, nor according to their corrupt deeds. Instead, He says, I will deal with you for my name's sake. That's something. That's been the common thread throughout this. He's been acting for His name's sake throughout this. That's why He hasn't put them away. Then He says, verse 44, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel. See the distinction? still there. So look, summing up this passage, verse 8, 28, look at this. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. Right, that's, that's a common thread. Verse 13 but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. Verse 21. But the children rebelled against me. You see that in through, through Ezekiel 20. But every time is followed by this. Verse 8. They rebelled against me. Verse 9. But I acted for the sake of my name. Verse 13. The house of Israel rebelled against me. Verse 14. But I acted for the sake of my name. Verse 21, the children rebelled against me. Verse 22, but I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name. Every time we see their rebellion, and, and God just doesn't put them away. He withholds His hand and acts for His name's sake. God cares for His glory. Now, He punishes the nation here for their rebellion. There's no question about that. Scattering them to the ends of the earth. But even in their transgression, God is bringing about good. Even in their partial hardening or partial rebellion, He has brought something good from this by grafting in the Gentiles, which has been the plan of God all along. But this grafting in will one day reach its fullness. That's Romans 11. And then God will act on the promises He made to Israel. He will gather them from every corner of this planet. He will bring them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great wrath. He will enter into judgment with them 
face to face. He would judge them in his wrath. He will make them pass under the rod one by one by one, purging out the rebels, purging out the transgressors, entering into the new covenant with them, bringing them into the land, accepting their worship. Then they will cry out, they will be his people and he will be their God. That's restoration. That's the national restoration that is still yet future to us today. Restoration through wrath. If you would please stand.